When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the mid-alt that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. Hi everyone, I'm Emily and I'm absolutely fine, but my people-pleasing reflex is like terrifyingly out of control. So staring at the mirror saying, I'm not the problem, you've done nothing wrong, is not working. So the other day I accidentally shut off a podcast I was listening to and apologised to it for the interruption. (laughs) So there you go. I'm tempted to say to you, you know, you need to be less apologetic. But as we were just discussing, you're so obedient that whenever I say to you, you know, don't say sorry so much, you become very, very aggressive and entitled. Briefly. And also, can you imagine if I then, if I shut off the podcast by accident and then just shouted at it, you absolute bastard, how they stop on me. But Might still. be good. There's some therapy in that. <laughs> oh, anyway, yes, exactly. Anyway, there you go. So that's me. How are you, Annabelle? Um, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine. But this week's midterms have horribly reignited my toxic obsession with Donald Trump. Which, and you know how troubling that became. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a trigger for you, the Trump thing. I'm so triggered by him. You know, I, I'm so disgusted and horrified and but sort of enervated and exercised by him to the point where I managed to bend and twist my obsession and I had a sex dream about him. I mean, the whole thing is terrifying. And I don't know, you know, if I don't know how I'm going to cope with the next few years. I know. I, how are you going to cope with I the don't next know. No, I, I almost, I, al- state. I almost don't care about American democracy less than you know how it's going to affect your mental health. Anyway, fully um, plugged into the madness. Fully plugged in. Speaking of madness, if you're anything like us, you've been driven half mad, completely mad, tracking all the chicanery, the chaos, and sheer craziness of the last few months in politics. So we have got a treat for you. The ace Hugo Rifkin is here to unpack the red box of weirdness. He's a Times star columnist, interviewer. By the way, his Andrew Tate interview is worth the Times subscription alone. And a radio presenter. His Saturday morning show on Times Radio is a must listen. As well as being a very good friend of this pod. And possible cousin of mine, even though he continues to deny it. (laughs) Apart from your relations, we are delighted to have him back to ask him what the hell is going on. But first, Hugo, how are you? Hello, uh, I'm absolutely fine, although I've just installed a smart home thermostat and it's the, on- oh. and it's the only thing I can think about. <laughs> it's your Donald Trump. Well, this is the thing. So I, I have this, th- you guys, you're very good at discussing what happens to women in midlife and how they go, <laughs> I don't want to put words in your mouth, but crazy. Um, the thing that happens with men at the same period in midlife is that they go extremely boring yeah like like extremely boring so what happened to me is i went to see a friend of mine in edinburgh and he just like hooked up his heating to something that he could use control with an app and i couldn't stop thinking about it and so i had to install my own and now when i daydream i daydream about getting new thermostats to bolt into new radiators so i can control them from my phone and like i used to read books what's happened 
so do you go on to your thing and think, oh, it's too hot in, in this area of my house. I'm going to turn it down. Oh, it's, or... it's worse than that. I can sit in, <laughs> I can sit in the office and, and, and my wife, Fran, she'll be working at, you know, at home and I'll be like, she doesn't need to be 18.5 degrees. It's not even raining outside. I'll turn that down from here. Well, that's not going to contribute to her midlife madness at all, is it? What, what other things, can I ask you, just off, contribute to the, the, the male midlife extreme boringness? The, it's just the things we do and the things we say, really, I would say. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> I speaking to another friend of mine, he was talking about how, how difficult it is at this age going to, if you go to some kind of dinner party and have to speak to men, because inevitably the conversation will turn to cycling. <laughs> there's, inevitably. There's a limit to how much you can say about cycling, it turns out, you know. I agree. It should definitely be something that you do if you must, but refrain from speaking about wherever possible. And here we are talking about it. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And none of us are ever on our bikes, right? Or you do. Don't get me started, Emily. Don't get me started. <laughs> well, live to regret. We don't, we're not here to talk about Hugo and his bicycle. We're here to talk about the extraordinary, I'm going to say, unprecedented political climate in which we find ourselves. And and what we really want, we want to ask you various things, Hugo, from the the, the things that you think have been the maddest mm. on the already mad scale. You want to start with the maddest thing? Yeah. I think let's start with the madness and just get yeah. madder. Well, the maddest thing is Liz Truss. Like, yes. I mean, like, obviously, like, like, what, what happened there? Like, you've got, I think you've got to, you've got to book it, you've got to take it together, I would say, Liz, Tr- Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng, the whole thing that happened there. Because as well as being quite what the fuck, it was also, both of them were significant. They both marked the end of different trends in British politics, all right? Right, I think. And the, what Liz Truss marked was, was it like the end in the kind of like, in the way that something peaks and then ends? Not what you call yes. that. If that's the, the zenith or the nadir or somewhere in between. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. cliff edge. The cliff. Yeah. Basically, Liz Truss represented the end of the rise of the idiots. Right? <laughs> oh, okay. Because, you know, I mean, you still get idiots in politics. God knows you still get idiots. But I think what she represented was the end of this idea that we've had for a few years now, that the less you know, the better because knowing things is suspect and <laughs> and liberal and remainer and just kind of wrong. And so Liz Truss... So the experts and the experts yeah, she was of... she was the ultimate anti-expert. You know, there was literally... Yes, when were... did Michael Gove say, we don't need any more experts, we've, enough we've of had experts. enough experts. I mean, that was many years ago. That, was, that, was, that was during that the was... referendum, that was 2016, that... yeah. Right. And so what that does is that sets us on a path that ends up with Liz Truss, who, who, <laughs> who had no reason whatsoever for being in the job except for everything she wasn't which was clever you know and i mean and it look it's not just me you have economists now talk about what britain is suffering from which they call the moron premium right <laughs> do they and it's literally this is this is this is this is bandied around so when they're being nice they, they they call it the british premium or they call it the moron premium which is the act the way the actions of our government raise the cost of borrowing we are paying a moron premium in our economy liz truss is the moron the ultimate moron Right. I feel, I feel like the fact that they even call it trustonomics is like an insult to like the whole of eco- the economist yeah, sort and, of like well, the fact popular. that it's got nomics on the end. Yes, it's like, you know, do you remember those books that used to come out and everything like Freakonomics and like that <laughs> feels really like like brilliantly sort of intellectual, like moving the tiny points. I can't remember the name of that guy. Malcolm uh, Malcolm Gladwell, yeah. Malcolm Gladwell. But saying it's trustonomics actually sounds like something legitimate, which I think we should stop saying. I'll yeah. stop saying it now. It's really re- it? I mean it's really, really basic what they got wrong is that they decided their strategy was to grow and inflate the economy and they didn't tell the Bank of England whose job is 
to not let the economy the economy inflate. And it's like, well, that's, I mean, just like, pick up the phone, guys, you know. So, I mean, you know, and that's, and once you've done that, everything goes wrong. Now, you might think Kwasi Kwarteng was also an idiot, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight you too hard on that. But I think he actually represents a sort of concurrent, albeit longer trend, which is our habit of giving remarkable deference to people just because they sound right. Okay. He, he was, he was a, he's a, he, I mean, Kwasi Kwarteng had a sort of unremarkable career in cabinet until he was chancellor. And then it was very remarkable, although for all the reasons. <laughs> but he's a, he's a big, posh, old Etonian who went to Oxbridge. Right? And who wrote his thesis, didn't he, on monetary policy in something like 1694, and they decided to stick with that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, so well, he's it's, really good. And it didn't even work then. Yeah, he's really clever. He knows everything about 17th century, like, monetary It's like Jacob Rees-Mogg is really clever, currently yeah. hanging in a belfry with nothing significant to do. We've had this sort of stream of Etonians at, at top levels in government, uh, increasingly less capable Etonians, I would say. Yes. Increasingly capable. And he is, like... He's, I, I see him as basically the end, well, probably not the end, but let's be honest, but at least a break in that trend, you know, that he's, um, that he, he, is, he is from a background where the thing you do is, it's like Simon Cooper's excellent book, Chums, about people who just um, who drift into politics through entitlement without really having any great idea about what they want to do there. He is, I would say, the, the sort of the last point on that trend, at least so far. I mean, the idea that you're, into, that you're identifying the end of the trend of, of idiocy, well, different kinds of idiocy, makes me almost want to feel sort of optimistic. Yeah, I know. I'm worried about this hope that you're throwing our way. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll see what I can do to scotch that as we carry on. <laughs> yes, Shall please I? do. I don't like it at all. It makes me feel very vulnerable. <laughs> OK, moving away from them, another mad thing. Are you familiar with Jake Berry? Oh, God. I know. Uh, I'm literally looking for it. Go on, do okay, it. Okay, so for six weeks during the Trust, uh, Trust Prime Ministership administration, Jake Berry was the chairman of the Conservative Party. That's it. That's and a minister it. without portfolio. Don't know where he came from. Don't know where he's gone. But already, <laughs> I miss him. Okay? He was, it, just, he was like, it was like a new... It's, it's not often that you get a new one who's saying something... So, okay, he was the guy. He was on telly, and he was interviewed about... It was when the cost of living crisis was really kicking off. And do you remember what Jake Berry's advice was if you're suffering in the cost of living crisis? He, wa- he wasn't one of the get a higher paying job ones, he was, was he? That was exactly him. His advice oh. was get a better job. If you're suffering in the cost of living crisis, go out there and get a higher paid job. <laughs> Which is just, I mean, that's brilliant, isn't it? Maybe 84k a year with 200 grand's worth of expenses and 20 weeks holiday. Well, yeah, become I mean, an MP, guys. Anything can, anything can not be enough. Just get a higher paid job. Just get a high pay, higher paid job. You know, he, he, I mean, maybe he has now. Who knows? <laughs> Do you think he's taken his own advice and he's now running, I don't know, running some, a bank like, or something or some think tank on Tufton Street or whatever it is, like where, where all the dark stuff happens? I mean, probably they tend to be, don't they? I just thought that was fantastic. I thought, you know, one of these things that as a, if you if you write about politics and particularly the absurd bits of politics, it's not often you get somebody totally new who says something that really makes your ears prick up. <laughs> and I can, I mean, I had, you know, I'm really sorry. Like, I'm really sorry yay, he's gone. Fresh blood. Yeah, I had, I had, I had such hopes for me and Jake. You know, I thought he was going to be a regular fixture in columns for for at least a few years. Yes, because he could advise Zelensky get better weapons or get better yeah. at war. I mean, that would be good. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah. He could say to you know Joe Biden, win more seats. That had, would be better, wouldn't uh, it? Yeah. We, we had dreams, me and him. Well, not, probably not him. Well, I mean, he must have been different. I mean, we probably did, but different dreams, you know. But uh, no, so, so, so him I miss. So I would say he's the second maddest thing 
to have happened in the autumn period of politics. Yes. We should all get t-shirts saying, Where's where is Jake Berry? Where is Jake Berry? Where is Jake Berry? Yeah, I don't, I could be wrong. I don't think he's even a minister now. I think he came and he went and it was just like, like a, like a, you know, like the, the old Chinese adage about a bird flying through darkness who flies through a house that's lit up and then carries on. And that's what, that's what life is like. You have that brief <laughs> period of light. Really and it's also existed. what Jake Berry's cabinet career was like. Just a boom and he was gone. Maybe he'll be back. Maybe he'll be back. We have to hope. Uh, yeah, yes. hoping. So, but at least he was there for six weeks, right? So, I guess uh, mad thing number three, Grant Shapps. <laughs> now, Grant Shapps was in the cabinet before, and he's now in the cabinet again. He was, he's now, he's, he's energy secretary now. But Grant Shapps spent six days as Home Secretary. And the best thing about Grant Shapps being Home Secretary was Grant Shapps was all kind of like this, this, uh, the Liz Trust government is a disaster. Anyone who serves in it ought to be ashamed. They should all resign and bring her down. Yes, I'd love to be Home Secretary. <laughs> the thing I love about Grant Shapps is his spreadsheet. I feel like it's a euphemism for something else, right? But doesn't everybody talk about his spreadsheets? Like Grant Shapps has got a very big spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very detailed spreadsheet. It's a very powerful spreadsheet. Yes, if you see Grant Shapps' spreadsheet coming towards you, you know something's about to happen. Exactly. Brace yeah. yourself. But it's like, whoever became powerful because of spreadsheet? Grant Shapps. Anyway, well, but I not mean, only for six days. I mean, like, like, like you know, he's, he's had a career before. He'll have a career again. I always think that the thing you don't want to happen in your political career is to do anything that makes you the answer to a pub quiz question, right? I think that, that's always bad. And I think six days is home, like, who was Home Secretary for six days? People would be going, oh, no, who was it? You know, was it, was it, oh, it could have been, uh, was it Nadine Zahar? No, was it, it wasn't Nadine Dory, she was longer. How long was Suella Braverman there the first time? No, Grant Shapps, six days, Home Secretary. Amazing. <laughs> It's going to be a nightmare, this period. I just think of the weeping sort of um, students in 50 years' time going, OK, hold on. In July 2022, mm -hmm. who was the monarch? Who was yeah. the monarch? Who was the home secretary? Who was the prime minister? Who was... Yes. I mean, it's just going to go... GCSE it's going to be endless. history yeah, is going, going to be, become nervous yeah. breakdown. Yeah, they're going to be crying, aren't they? And pub quizzes as well. Like, well, it's, well it, also... I mean, it'll be that whole thing about, you know, it will be the, the sort of... The, or the, the, the pub quiz or even the quiz machine, you know, who was, who was the prime minister when Queen Elizabeth II died? And people yeah. will be going, it, it, it's going to be a real sort of like Alec Douglas humour of an answer. People are going to be going like, well, no, there was a, wasn't there a gap, was it? You know? <laughs> yeah. And then someone will wake up in the middle of the night about four hours later going, Trossonomics! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, my God. Wow. Six oh, days, dear. though. Six days is good. Six days is um, one for the memories. You wonder if you managed to steal any stuff, you know, in the office. Did you even get into the office? Yes, I guess, for six oh, days. Got, I mean, technically... No, I, I'm trying to think how it works. I don't think he technically gets severance pay because he went on to be a cabinet minister. I think you only get severance pay if you are a cabinet minister and then are not a cabinet minister. So I don't think you get it for just moving job in the cabinet. Yes, because um, this trust has got her 115 grand a year, hasn't she, yeah, for life? for life, yeah. And what's happening with her honours list? That I don't know. I know it was being disputed. I'd be very surprised if she does do one. It would be an extraordinary act of sort of confidence, wouldn't it? Wasn't there a rumour going around that there were people refusing honours that had been pot potentially been bandied around? I mean, you were. Just saying, you? Just I think... This is embarrassing, like, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, could, sorry, please don't give me one, thanks. Yes, but for everyone who says no thanks, there'll be two yeah. who say yes, please. Yeah, yeah well, I guess, That's true. I guess you say no thanks under a deal that next time around it all... Um, you know, next time around, someone will remember you. All these deals, it's so fucking undignified, isn't it, ultimately? Because everybody knows that you've made a deal. 
Yeah. So it never it never washes well, does it? Nobody ever goes, oh gosh, that's a brave appointment. Everyone goes, oh, yeah, bastards. You know what? That brings me on to my next one, actually, very hey. very nicely, which is Suella Braverman, right? Oh, oh yes, Suella, please. Now there's a lot going on with Suella Braverman, <laughs> but I mean, basically, that six day window when Grant Chaps was Home Secretary was the six day period after which Suella Braverman resigned as Home Secretary for being incompetent <laughs> and was then appointed again. Right. So it was the six-day period when Suella Braverman was not Home Secretary? It was the six-day period when she was not Home Secretary, yes. I feel like we're talking like we're talking about Middle East wars now. You know, yeah. everyone just goes to the six-day war, whatever. It's actually the six-day period but when it, but Suella it, Braverman... But it's not like she resigned for political reasons, officially. She resigned because she messed up her job. Which she now has again. Yeah, it's you know, insane. Th- there's only so many. Well, ways that you... was all about a deal, to your point, Emily, wasn't it? That was all about well, Rishi having to sort of yeah keep the right of the party happy for a little while. Yeah, but you, again, you wonder, you know, you wonder if he was like relying on a Grant Chap spreadsheet, looking at it, going, "Well, I mean, we need we need somebody mental. <laughs> <laughs> Who can we have who's mental? Um, you know, and it's, do you um, think they have a sanity spreadsheet as well as a grants? Like who at which point has got the most sort of oh, yeah, you no, know, tot- mental points? Totally. Then they'll have been looking at them and going, well, I mean, she's, she's only mental, you know, like she's not, she, you know, there's, there's no, there's no bigger, there's no bigger problems here. She's only mental. <laughs> yes. Which we should be grateful for at this point. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, but she's, I mean, it's sort of staggering because I, I mean, in the, when we're speaking, the week before, there was all this stuff about the Manston um, Migrant Centre, which was, like, hopelessly overcrowded. It was meant to have 1,600 people in it. It had over 4,000 people in it. There were people mm. sleeping on floors. There were kid, There was a kid throwing messages in a bottle to photographers on the other side of the wall asking for help. There were pregnant families there. There was disease, diphtheria. And I, and I was uh, speaking to some of our politics guys last week on my show, and I was saying, look, Suella Braverman is being hauled over the coals about this, but she's only been in the job for, well, a couple of weeks, then six days she wasn't, then a few weeks before that. <laughs> yeah, she's not been in the job long, certainly not in the sort of whatever it is, two and a half weeks since Rishi Sunak took over. She can't have screwed it up that badly already, to which they said, oh, yes, she can. And she has. And it really is all her fault. It really. What is has she not- done? What she did is she refused to authorise taking more migrants out of the migrant centre and letting them stay in hotels. Right, That's so if they're it. not in Rwanda, they have yeah. to stay in this one just, migrant centre. Just, just, yeah, just hotels. And, and basically, if you don't let people be taken out and stay in hotels once they've been processed, then they stay there and more come. And this <gasps> surprised her. Then she flew there in a helicopter because she, yes. she wanted to see what the coastline looked like. Why? Well, she, she wanted to see where they're all arrived. They're all arriving, you know, blue, oh, small, the boat. small yeah. boats come in. And she goes, I, I went in the helicopter, in a Chinook military helicopter, because I wanted to see what the coastline looks like. And it's like, well, you know what? We have maps. Yes. <laughs> we have Google Earth. You don't really need to go in a helicopter to see what the coastline no, looks like. No, she's not Mary Wollstonecraft going to Sweden to kind of write about it, like, uh, because it's undiscovered or whatever. But it's interesting you say, you know, it might not be her fault because she's only been there. I mean, there has been a habit, as this government has mutated and evolved and crumbled, of people, of new people in jobs saying, oh, well, all that disaster of the last 12 years was not this government. Oh, yeah. It wasn't this administration. And as though you, ha- as though you, as though you, as though you wash it all away. Yeah. Well, but that's, that's the thing. It would have been not exactly reasonable, but close to reasonable if she was saying, you know what, I know this is chaos, but I've only just taken over and I'm catching up. And really the, the country's been more or less ungoverned for, what, three months. Uh, and obviously things are bad. But no, she actively fucked it up. 
well done. You know, really, <laughs> well, really hitting the ground running there. You know, really making an impact early on. And she's still in the job. And do you think she's still in the job because it would look too mad to U-turn on her for the second time or whatever? Or do you think it's because they're waiting for... To, they're using her as a cover for all the other things that are, they're trying to sort out. So it's better to have one sort of whatever the dead cat yeah. thing where it's like one person to, to write about and attack while they just like feverishly try and sort the rest of everything out. Closer to the latter in that they probably don't lose any more votes for being vicious on immigration. You know, they, they are those kind of vote, the kind of votes that they would once have lost are, are long gone. You know, they've managed to lose yeah. that by everything else. And they are worried a bit about the the Faragist right, should it should it come back. Uh, and she is useful for Sunak, A, because she says and does all the horrible stuff, but B, also because she's... um, It's quite a strange situation that because she's deemed so incompetent, it slightly makes him not responsible. You know, yes, everyone like knows, she was someone else's invention. Everyone knows she's a, polit- she's a political appointee to appease the right of the party. Everyone knows he probably didn't want to do it. And this makes him slightly... So it gives him a a degree of distance. So I reckon she'll be there a while just because it's kind of useful for him to have her failing there. Yeah, well, they try and sort out the money a bit. Yeah, the last thing he wants is someone in there doing a better job. Yeah, so so we get Suella Braverman's incompetence and uh, and a big double down on Gavin Williamson's bullying. Well, there we go. And you know what? This is exactly what I was going to move on to next. (laughs) That's because we're cousins, so we think alike. Yeah, absolutely. It's psychic. So basically... okay, so. So you, you, you've got to look at Suella and Gavin Williamson in, in tandem, right? This yeah. Basically, Rishi Sunak appoints his new government and people start attacking members of it immediately. You know, his enemies start attacking members of it immediately. Now, they attack Suella Braverman on the basis that she's really, 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 really terrible at her job. Seems fair. The basis on which they attack Gavin Williamson is much more interesting. They attack Gavin Williamson on the basis that he's a dick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all know that, right? Yeah. So like, and no, dicks never take a day off. Yeah. No one's, no one's <laughs> remotely interested in how good he is at his job. Past form, not, not wonderful. You remember his, his tenure as education secretary. It's not irrelevant. Do you know what? Now that, you, now that you come to mention it, I can't remember what he's doing now. Uh, he is, is he just cabinet officer? <laughs> no one can remember what, he's it's, asked, it's, not, it's working. It's We're not, not focusing on this job. We're focusing on the fact that he's a dick. It, it's not a real job. Uh, he's, a, he's a minister of state with that portfolio. Yeah, he's basically cabinet officer, office floating around uh, is he literally the office wa- he's literally the office wanker it's like if we ha- bring Gavin Williamson <laughs> in we'll just 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 nobody we, he can just wander around being a wanker and that'll be yeah so everyone else says. knows that if he's the office wanker they know it's not them I guess he's there to, he's there to offer some some heft and experience I suppose oh, but, uh, sorry yeah. I just was a little bit sick in my mouth I know because Emily you've always been you've been rather in fact triggered by Gavin Williamson for years years and years there was years. something he did when he was education secretary that really pissed you was off it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was it everything yeah <laughs> yes, exactly it really annoyed me yes exactly that and his fucking tarantula oh, what? oh he's got a pet tarantula, got a pet tarantula. Yeah. And, he, and he did a photo shoot with a with a with a whip that he put on his desk, but he'd had to put a book on top of it to stop it from unfurling, so you could see it was a whip. <laughs> Otherwise, it would just look like a cable. And it's just like you're just you're a penis, you know. It's just um, uh, he's a terrible man. But so so, so the story at the moment is that he's a uh, he's been throwing a massive hissy fit. He threw a massive hissy fit about not going to the Queen's funeral, and he sent lots of uh, abusive messages to um to the person who was who was then the whip, I think. But there's a new story today. Where he said to another another idea, I guess it must have been when he was in education. He threatened. To, he said to someone, "You should you should slit your throat." 
and you should jump out the window, which I loved hearing on the news this morning because it's like, and further, he is also, also accused of telling somebody to jump out the window, which is just sounded <laughs> amazing. But it's also, that's very Gavin Williamson, slit your throat and jump out the window. It's like, what, in that order? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's a bit like when he, when he told Russia to go away and shut up. It's like, surely if they go away, we won't be able to tell they've shut up because they've gone away. <laughs> You know. It's the difference, isn't it, between sort of being evil and being a dick? You know, it's, it's sort of it's ineffective and floundering and silly rather than actually frightening. Then I did actually when I read this, heard the slit your throat thing. I did think this the, the language, the vernacular that they, the language that they use these male politicians is really aggressive. I mean, obviously mm. we can get back to Pretty Patel's again because I love talking about your sort of strange relationship with Pretty but um, yes, is she currently yes, bullying the furniture yes exactly <laughs> but um, do you remember when George Osborne said that he wanted to that he wouldn't rest until Theresa May was like cut up in bags in and freezer, freezer bags yeah Mm. I mean, I'm like, come on, guys. It makes you wonder, doesn't it, where these politicians come from? That's, a, that's some serious language. I mean, I know I agree that he, it's also, yes. I mean, your it's restraining order language for a start. It's did you pull the wings off birds when you were a child? How worried should we be yeah. language? Yeah. Anyway. But, you know, just imagining talking to somebody like that in the office. You'd, I mean, you'd, get, you'd get punched, wouldn't you? You know? I mean, Emily, we worked, we worked together for a couple of years. Yes. I don't yeah. remember ever telling you to jump out the window. <laughs> no, or slit my throat, no. No, no. no. Was, I mean, I wonder we got anything done. <laughs> but, you know, all of us worry to make sure that we don't offend people. And, you know, microaggressions, that is, there's nothing micro about slit your throat, is there? Yeah, I mean, what? maybe in a car, you know, maybe if someone cuts <laughs> you up or whatever, you might say, you know, fuck off, you, whatever, I hope you die. But still, seriously, though, you, to actually turn around to someone and say slit your throat or to actually talk about someone's Do head. we know what crime has been committed to um, provoke such an outburst? Uh, I, I do not know. No, I don't. No, I don't but think any of us But do. it's also, I mean, it, it tells you a lot about power and people's attitudes in power. Because you can't tell someone, you can't tell your equal, your professional equal, to slit their throat because they won't stand for it. It's, it, I mean, it's literally, it's bullying. It is, it is language you only use with someone who can't answer back or fight back. You know, mm. which is, I mean, it's it's proper work. I mean, look, I don't think, I mean, I generally don't get that upset by the idea of politicians being vile in office as long as they're doing their job properly. I mean, obviously, the fact that he wasn't is 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 is, 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 is another matter. Like, I mean, I, I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world if uh, if you have cabinet ministers sort of shouting and raging and, you know, sort of throwing staplers at the wall and stuff, although as fun as these these stories always are. But it does just make him look like an absolute wally, doesn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. A really, a really unpleasant person. I don't know, remarkable. Gavin Walliamson. Yeah, oh, there you go. very well, nice. Then. That's very good. That's very strong. I'm really happy now. Thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can go now, just leave you two Rivkins. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or maybe not. Um, but um, yes, pretty. Yes, what is Patel? What is our friend Pretty well, she's, doing? She's been sort of drifting in of late as a voice of reason in that really frightening <laughs> way. You know, it's like, it's like the Nadine Dorries thing. It's like Pretty Patel and Nadine Dorries talking about the Liz Truss prime ministership. You're like, yep, talking a lot of sense. You know, what's, <laughs> what's happened now? You know, have I have I had a stroke? Um, you know. The sixth maddest thing to happen is that you find yourself agree with Pretty Patel. Yeah, yes. no, Pretty Patel and the Dean Dorries is these yeah voices voices of reason. You know, <laughs> the grandees, the elder statesmen. Now you look back and you go, hmm, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to Pretty Patel sort of long term. The fact that she's not back in the cabinet is kind of interesting. Well, both of those two were sort of massive Boris Johnson loyalists mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
yeah, big question of whether whether they hang around. I don't know. Waiting for Boris to come back. Yes. Well, I mean that. I mean again, that's another mad thing that wasn't even on my list. But the fact that he, <laughs> the way the fact that he he was definitely going to run again, and he was like he, his whole pitch was, well, it's going to be different this time. I've changed, but he had to make this pitch <laughs> while on holiday in the Caribbean <laughs> when he shouldn't have been. It's like, mm, yeah, I'm seeing and, why you know, this in terms work. of conspiracy theories, I keep hearing, you know, oh, they'll be desperate by June. June will be Boris's time to come back. That's when <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think he's going to come back. I mean, at least, or at least not until they lose an election, and then he'll try. I think, um, mm. I think Rishi Sunak's going to keep the wheels on until until the election, which he then loses. Yes, thought. safe pair of hands to then lose the ele- before then losing the election. Yeah, he's he's not very remarkable. He's not going to do anything dramatic. He's going to just sort of like he's going to he's going to John Major it. You know, he's going to yeah. he's going to keep it keep it solid enough that someone else can then take over after he loses. I would have thought he's going to keep it warm enough, like his mug that keeps it uh, his yeah. tea at exactly the right temperature. Well, right? Do, do you want to do you want to hear my 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 two theories for for, for what might be really yes. going on then? Okay, because yes. Rishi Sunak is central to only one of them. But the one he's okay. central to, I my theory about so I mean, I'm stunned, I'm I'm fascinated by the physicality of Rishi Sunak because he's so very thin and he walks quite strangely. In the paper, there were <laughs> there were these photos of him in the paper this morning of him meeting Emmanuel Macron and they were touching in that sort of grim way that they both like to do. But my Rishi Sunak theory <laughs> is that Rishi Sunak is actually two small boys in their dad's suit with one sitting <laughs> on the other one's shoulders. And my old Rishi Sunak theory was that his suit had just been drawn on with crayon and he was actually okay. naked, which you can come see because they're like... very tight. But actually, having looked at him more closely, no, there's a slight bulge <laughs> around the shoulders. I think there's two, there's two of them in there. Two boys. Yeah. Wow. No? <laughs> it's an excellent theory. Is the top, as it were, mm-hmm. always in charge? That's interesting. Or, do they, mean... or are they twins and they swap? Fuck, I hadn't thought of that. And one says things like, I like Coke. Yeah. I love Mexican Coke is the best in that famous interview that you brought up last time on yes, the podcast when Rishi Sunak was trying to be down with the kids. Yeah, when he said he loved Mexican Coke. The best Coke comes from Mexico, said Rishi Sunak. That's the one. Yeah. That's he, the one. He said he was a Coke addict. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe they both are. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I have no idea who is, who is the bottom half of Rishi Sunak. That's one of, well, that's the, one of you know, political Well, when that emerges mysteries. to be true, you're going to be able to say, I told you. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. My other You'll th- be the only person in the world. I'll be the only, be person, who's, told only you. person who saw that coming. I'll be like, guys, you know, it's like that fantastic diary. You must have seen this, this drawing that someone did of Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump, he's got that very weird way of standing. And someone yes. uh, did this diagram that pointed out that it makes complete sense if you consider him to be the very front bit of a centaur. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Now I'm going to have to go and look that yeah. up. You, oh my god, she's going to have weird Donald Trump centaur dreams. Yeah. Like, Donald Trump centaur sex dreams. You, yeah, there you, we go. If you extend the horse out of Donald Trump's back, you will see that he actually, the way he stands with his chest stuck out and everything, yes. slightly the wrong yes. shape. All you need yes. to imagine is an entire horse coming off the back there, <laughs> and suddenly, suddenly it all makes perfect sense. Yeah. Okay. What's yeah. your other mad theory? Okay, so my other mad theory is that none of this is happening. It's, uh, this is, so I did a lot of work earlier this year on the metaverse, Facebook's metaverse, alternate realities and so on. And there was an article that I read, I think it was in one of the American tech magazines, either Wired or The Verge, I can't remember which one. And it was about cows in Turkey. And cows in Turkey are now living in the metaverse. As in, they, while they make their milk, they have goggles on these cows in which they're imagining they're in fields. Okay. Uh, they're doing this in Turkey. The headline on this article was 
the metaverse is already here for cows and it's very sad. <laughs> so they're doing it in like, a, a, in like a, a, a shed in Turkey, but they think they're roaming free across the prairies. Precisely. Yeah, they're in a shed, but, they've got, but they're seeing green and sunlight and, you know, they're like the anchor dancing, we are lucky cows, cows. They think. And is mind. this to make their milk taste happy? Yes, happy milk. Right, happy sa- milk. Because sad Turkish milk is grim. Um, <laughs> happy milk, amazing. So this makes me think actually, maybe it's not just the cows. I mean, I know this, it's very the matrix. Maybe none of this is happening. Maybe what's happening is we are part of this system where we're being kept just bemused, astonished, and irritated enough to not ask too many questions and not pull the big plugs out the back of our heads. What do you think the budget's going to throw up? Do you think there are going to be any surprises in there, or do you think it's just going to be exactly what we think, which is uh, a lot of cuts and a bit of tax? I think, I think it's going to be exactly that, a lot of cuts and a bit yeah. of tax. I think, I think they might cut a bit less than we were expecting them to, and they might tax, they're going to tax quite stealthily, in that it's going to be a lot of things that are going to happen in a few years' time, or a lot of things that were expected to decrease that aren't going to decrease... Or the, I mean, the big one is um, is pensions, where the pensions increase mm. in line with wages or in line with inflation, which is a is a big political fuss, but doesn't really make any difference to anybody tomorrow. And so they're going to no. The person it probably makes the most difference to is Keir Starmer, isn't it? Because yeah. if he wins, takes over, and finds himself having to fulfil or not fulfil these promises that have been woven mm-hmm. into the fabric of the future. Yeah, but although I mean. It's kind of, I mean, it's quite difficult to be a Labour leader and be complaining about the idea of increasing taxes. You know, I mean, mm. so, I mean, while I think he's sort of guaranteed to win and, and, and frankly looking forward to it happening, I also think um, Labour's quite lucky to not be there right now because the Tories are, are increasing tax and cutting spending. And mm. Labour would not want to cut spending, which would mean they'd have to be increasing tax even more. And, um, and it's going to be, it's, it is genuinely going to be useful for them to be able to blame everything as it happens this time rightly on a previous government. And hope that in two years the climate is steadied enough so that it, they don't have to do another massively brutal round of... You know, or at least the decisions they make look sensible. Yeah, compared to... Yeah. What do we feel? Because I, I find it quite hard to form an opinion about Keir Starmer other than he's sort of a more decent person than anyone the Tories have come with. What do we think about him as a personality? So I saw him speak at the Labour conference, was it last year or the year before? Quite a small room, there were about 700 people in there. Sort of, you know, one of those sort of tie-off shirt sleeves rolled up addresses. And he's actually much more charismatic than you'd imagine in that kind of setting. You know, he knows his stuff, he's very smart. He's also, it's quite, the idea that he's boring is quite useful for him. Uh, uh, Jeff Norcott, the comedian, has this great thing about Keir Starmer being the typical, what you're your mum's new husband, basically. You know, he's, you know, he's sort of like solid, boring. You're a bit frightened of him, but nothing, nothing's gonna, you know, nothing, nothing is gonna happen. But it's there. basically a yeah. best case scenario. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, it's like it's fine. It's just mum's new husband. It's all right. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but what, which is, which I think is a brilliant observation. But in fact, is quite useful to him because actually, what you don't see what's going on with Kirstam is Kirstam has done a hell of a lot within the Labour Party. He's he's quite. Uh, brutally suppressed and kicked out the hard left of the Labour Party. The the fact that the fact that Jeremy Corbyn still hasn't been readmitted to the party, you know, and he's um he's fairly systematically, or at least his party is fairly systematically getting rid of uh, all that kind of sort of old former communist socialist worker side of things that came in with Corbyn, 
which is actually, you know, would be, I mean, uh, many people would approve of it, but other people would find it quite purgy when you pay proper attention to it. And so mm. the fact that instead of that being what people think of him, think when they see him, instead of people seeing, instead of people seeing him as a sort of centrist purger, they see him as your 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 mum's boring new husband. That's that's well, pretty I, good. I, that's fine. I suppose yeah. he's got Angela Rayner, hasn't he? Your sort of you know new gen sort of John Prescott, mm-hmm. <laughs> in that she's you know kind of it's quite hard to think of Northerners. Yeah, you know how northernist are we? You know who who who've got really, but you know very senior in government. And Angela Rayner is, you know, agree or disagree with her, kind of fun to watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's been increasingly fun to watch again because she used to be very, um, she used to be very sort of humble and normal and quite Jess Phillipsy about things. Whereas these days, if you see her, yeah, you see her at Labour Party conference or even in Parliament, there's a real swagger there. You know, and it's, yeah, it's like quite, all the Tory scum stuff. Yeah, there's a real sort of um, you know diva thing going on. Which is quite, which is good fun. I'm looking forward to writing about her for many, many years. I think she's she's going to be somebody who pretty joyfully loses touch with reality, which is going to be great. <laughs> I think. In terms of people who either are in touch with reality, I hope that um, that when Labour do win, we see lots more of Jess Phillips. Yeah, yes. oh, she, I, I interviewed Jess. Um, in fact, she was on my show at Cheltenham Festival just a few weeks back, and I think she's tremendous. She's so sane. Did you see? That exchange she had, that video exchange she had with Owen Jones. Oh, it was which, very which, good. Which, in fairness to him, he put out as part yep. of, as, uh, you know, he didn't have to put out. I think someone, I saw a tweet that someone had tweeted out going, I don't understand why Owen has put this out, was the slightly more dignified one where she splattered a custard pie in his face, uh, <laughs> distorted in some way, or something like that, I can't remember. But it was, I mean, she, it's just an absolute drubbing that she gives him. On, it was um, magnificent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she, treats him, she, she, she treats him like a sixth former, really, doesn't she? Mm. Yeah, but it's just, it, it, it's that fantastic combination of her being sort of profoundly irritated and having to get somewhere else and not wanting to do it anyway, but still just completely beating him up in passing, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Bang. Like she wasn't even concentrating, you know. She just, yeah. I think that's almost the most optimistic note that we can end on, is let's see more of Jess Phillips. Yeah. yeah, hooray. Yeah. Amazing how we started and now we're ending on a message of hope. Yeah, <laughs> Jess Phillips, that's it. All rolled into one woman. Yeah. Uh, thank, thank you, you so much, A Hugo. real pleasure. Lovely to speak to you guys. I mean, just brilliance in motion. Great. Um, and, you know, I can confidently say we'll see you soon. Hope so. <laughs> Cheers, guys. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Middle. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe.